Hi everyone, welcome to Let's Talk About Skills, baby. I am your host, <laughs> Kelly Bailey. Uh, each week I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful, how they developed those skills, and their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Come learn what skills can help you live your best life. So my guest today is Rick Mayer. Rick, I'm going to tell a little bit about you before you jump okay. in. <laughs> okay. So Rick- Don't embellish the, too much. <laughs> I won't embellish too much. I'm going to let you share okay. your story for sure. All right. <laughs> so Rick is the former president and CEO of Mayer & Mayer, a talent development consulting firm. And he is the current president and CEO of Adaptive Human Capital, where he helps both individuals and organizations become more resilient and agile. So Rick, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, My pleasure, <laughs> thanks for having me. This is exciting. <laughs> it is for me too. And, and so that all of our um, viewers or listeners know, Rick and I are actually just a town over from each other. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but because of COVID, we can't be in the same space. So exactly, works. here right. we are just virtually getting together. Hopefully right. it'll be a lunch right. soon. <laughs> That would be great. <laughs> so Rick, I thought, you know, this, I gave like a very, you know, this is your background, but I would, I just don't feel like that did you justice. I would love to hear a little bit more about your, you know, life story, your journey, however you want to put it. Okay. Um, well, you know, I don't know how much time we have. My life journey, <laughs> as it turns out, is quite expansive now. Um, but quite um, fascinating. But, but yeah, you know, somewhere on the order of about 33 years ago, I guess, um, formed Mayor and Mayor. Um, as you mentioned, Mayor and Mayor is a talent development um, and really a change management consulting firm, um, mm -hmm. uh, which I held for 31 years. Two years ago, um, it was acquired by Impact International. Um, who has now itself been acquired by uh, AIR, American Institute for Research. Right. And so it's a pretty substantial enterprise now. Um, but Mayer started as a, a, a training consultancy um, when actually I was working in the turnaround industry as an executive in California. And my wife at the time was staying home with the kids. We were starting a family and she had been a trainer in the cable industry, right? So it was her way of hanging a shingle without out, you know, just staying home all the time. And it blossomed into something, you know, much bigger. And back in the in the 90s, I mean, here we are on broadband video talking as if we're literally in the in the same room. Well, you may not be old enough, Kelly, but I am to remember when that wasn't happening. I mean, you, we had AOL and dial up and um Oh no, we I remember that. Day. Yeah, we got a call. In fact, I'm so old that my AOL address I, I don't use it anymore, but I'm still Rick Mayer at AOL. Um, uh, you know, I didn't even have to go Rick Mayer forever. one, right? Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, but we got a call from Time Warner Cable saying, can you be in the 37th floor of the Time Life building on Monday? We're launching a new thing and we need cable trainers. We heard you're good. Wow. So my wife calls me. She goes, I, don't, I can't go to this meeting alone. I don't know what it is. And it turned out they were launching broadband internet for the first time in the history of the U.S., which that Mayor Mayor launched, did all the training for, and, um, and ultimately launched it throughout the U.S. for them and for, for Comcast and for 
Cox in Atlanta, who's still a client yep. of theirs. So, you know, we, we were called to make major change, right? One day you're selling HBO, the next day a technician is connecting a cable to right. your computer, right? So it was a major shift and we learned from that and then migrated into government where of course we do a lot of work now with the Department of Labor and have been involved in a lot of huge things. Your, your um, focus is on skills. One of the first projects I got in government was for the launch of what is ONET, the <laughs> Occupational Information Network, which at the time was going to be America's common language for skills. Of course. And for and some degree still is, right? right. So yeah, so it's a it was a journey that, you know, kind of I could I wish I could say I planned every step of it. What, what I think we were successful in doing is doing a really good job. Um, when clients came to us and and as a result more people came so you know over the course of 31 years the company grew we became very good at what we did and now I'm on the board and I do a podcast called talent talks for them and starting up adaptive human capital which is really my passion right yeah. why yeah. do people resist change how can people get more comfortable with disruptive change mm -hmm. both at the individual and the organizational level. So I'm having fun and I'm happy to be talking to you about skills. <laughs> well, I know we're always having fun when we chat for sure. Um, yeah, well, the, one sure. of my favorite things about the beginning of this story as a mother myself, someone who also yeah. took a moment to be with her children and try to do the consulting thing. I just love how that was sort of the creation of this for you and your wife and your family. Um, and I also have a feeling that based on how you kind of went in and served some of these clients of yours and just figured it out along the way, that's potentially what might have really led to this passion now and where you, your focus has shifted. Um, but maybe before we shift into that, which obviously we could yeah. talk about all day long, I'd yeah, love sure. to hear over this journey of yours, um, yes. what are really the skills that you think made you so successful as an individual, but maybe also I'd love to hear how you might think that was brought back into Mayor and Mayor as an organization. Well, that's a, that's a great question. I honestly, I don't know that I've given it a whole lot of thought, but I, I will tell you that first of all, I always say to people, I'd rather be lucky than good. So there, <laughs> there is a certain amount of being at the right place at the right time. I mean, sure. why did we get the call from Time Warner? Right. But the answer, was because we had done a good job in what we were doing right yeah. and we were trusted mm -hmm. so the one thing i think when i look back if i had to count on things that i thought were important for me to whatever level of success i've been able to get number one i say is persistence mm -hmm. i mean I, I you know i just don't i don't accept failure i don't do that very well i'm not good at it I'm, don't get me wrong i've had plenty of it but i i i don't I won't let it kill me. I just will keep. So that that's been a, a key, I think, for me. And then the other thing is, I you know, I did a a kind of a values survey younger days of my life, mm. and, I, and and it told me that what I was good at was helping people. Okay. And so I I applied the persistence with a fairly decent set of skills in problem solving, and I tried to stay in a lane where I felt like I was doing something purposeful, not mm -hmm. just about making money. And that translated to mayor. If you, know, if you had any experience, and I know you, you have some with that organization, I to do. this day, and credit to Impact who acquired them and now AIR, 
Um, there is a culture there. People will not stop and they will do, they'll go above and beyond. I mean, we never stopped the job and said, we're out of money. Uh, we need more. Never. Um, and our clients knew that if their skin was in the game, we were going to make them successful or go down with them. And, and that is a culture that we were able to build. We had a lot of working moms, including the founder. Yep. So as a result, I was getting people that couldn't, the government, for instance, wouldn't let them work from home. And I said, well, you can work from home here. Sure. <laughs> and, oh, you got, a, you got a kid's Little League game? Go. So do I. I'll yeah. see you after. So that culture being open, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it allowed us to bring really talented people that we otherwise never would have been able to attract. So it's kind of a long-winded answer, but I, those things no, combined. But it, it, yeah. I mean, I, as an outsider, like I guess, you know, someone that worked alongside Mayor and Mayor, that's definitely the way I would have described it as well. Anytime we were involved with the, in a project with you at my time at Burning Glass, it was always like we knew that was you know, we could trust that that was right. doing well. And I, and I can recall in my early mm. days, the young buck in this industry, yeah, right. being, yeah. being on a call probably as like an assistant to an assistant of someone. And I just remember <laughs> you being on the call and I was like, oh my gosh, she's, you know, <laughs> but there was just something about you, you know, there's people in this industry that, um, you know, they, they can have a chip on their shoulder. Um, and you just never had that even when I was very young and didn't know enough about this. Like I immediately that drew me to you into working with mayor and mayor. So I, well, I, I definitely was there. <laughs> and I tell you, I, I should have said what I did best was surround myself with people that better that were better than me. So, you know, I, I would no, I'm serious. I did. And, and people always look at me, oh, you're an expert in workforce development. Honestly, there are people that know, forgot more about workforce development than I know that work for me. Um, I know a little bit about why people resist change. Sure. That's, that's a strength of mine. But I let the experts be the experts. Believe me, I did. And that was the smartest move I made. That was really You've smart. always had some really amazing employees there. So oh, <laughs> thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm so, proud to say every one of them, I think one may have gone into retirement. Everybody that was with Mayor when I sold it is still there. In fact, it's grown exponentially. So yeah, they're, they're still doing a great job. There. I bet. They're an awesome organization. They are. So we talked a little bit about the skills that you think made you successful, made you know Mayor and Mayor successful through this journey. Um, I'd love to maybe talk a little bit about how you develop those skills. Because obviously, you mm -hmm. know, in the work that most of us are doing here um, in terms of hiring and learning and the economy. Um, we often talk a lot about, you know, formal education versus informal yes. education versus building skills through work. And I'm just really curious when you think back to these sort of core skills, how do you feel like you gained that knowledge? Yeah. Another great question. You're, you're good at this, Kelly. Um, uh, <laughs> Well, first, I honestly think one of the beautiful things about consulting is that you get paid to learn from your clients. And I always credit, I mean, I've had really interesting, like the, the project at Time Warner. But, mm -hmm. you know, again, when, when I moved into government, the first project I had was ONET. And the, the person who approached me later became an assistant secretary of labor, but at mm -hmm. the time wasn't, said, um, Hey, hey, I hear you do training and you're going to get in government. Well, um, 
uh, how about uh, helping us with ONET? I said, what's an ONET? You know, because they had launched it, but no one was using it. And the same exact needs we had to make what Time Warner called the Roadrunner service originally. Oh, I remember which that. Which was to get people who were in the, yeah, that's what we launched, Roadrunner. So we had to get general managers who were only concerned about selling HBO to understand first what was the internet and then why was broadband worth changing your entire business model about. And what we learned about overcoming resistance and creating the right curriculum and the right environment where people could try and fail we applied that in trying to get ONET adopted, and we did. We launched the first online academy called ONET Academy to, to scale the adoption of ONET across the country. And so I, first thing I'd say, uh, Kelly, is we learned from our client experience, really. Um, and then, you know, I have a master's in I.O. psychology, which I do rely on, particularly in the research realm for adaptive human capital. But Wow. I always tell people, I took that master's later in life. And I really feel as though a lot of what I learned in it was, was validation of the things I had learned across my <laughs> time as a consultant working with clients, truthfully. So, um, you know, a little bit from school and from books, yep. a lot from reading, and just a lot from the practical application of living in the real world. I mean, um, you know, you can see... Um, a major change come and you can see one individual who looks at it and says, wow, this is amazing. What an opportunity and just dives in and uh, the same change and a different person. And it's like the worst thing and I'm going to resist it. And I'm, I, I lose all motivation. Yeah. Why is that? And it doesn't just happen with clerical staff. I've seen it happen with oh, senior vice president. Definitely. Right. And, and, and that is such like a drag on innovation. Yeah, it is. It's, it ultimately resides in fear, but I call it a prism, right? How is it that the same change, you twist that tr prism, some person sees it as a threat, right. another person sees it as an opportunity. And the key of that understanding, understanding where on that spectrum you reside as an individual and where your culture lets individuals reside, because mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with environment, is just always fascinated me. And again, it started by observing it for my clients and then later getting into the educational thing and understanding more about the why. Right. right? So it's like you yeah. learned by doing first and really like tackling yeah. challenges, trying to figure out as best you can, just like in the moment. And then exactly. that was really validated through formal education where you could yeah. say like, oh, wow, this was, this is really something that... <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure some of my earliest clients would enjoy hearing that, but that's the truth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when it's interesting when you have that sort of like mental capacity to look at a challenge in that way. Um, <clears throat> I would say maybe a lot of your former clients would take this and be like, you know what, we, we trusted you because of your mentality around it not necessarily like we they may have very well known that you had not worked you right. know in government right. at all that they probably did check my resume now that you mention it you're right yeah <laughs> well for, and for our listeners as well i just want to take one step back because we've been talking about onet <clears throat> yeah. now most people in our industry 100 percent know what that means but if you can just give yeah. a quick little description of what sure. that is. yeah so onet was launched i think sometime around the late 90s, 2000-ish in there. And uh, the, the occupational uh, 
Information Network, all right, um, ONET, was replacement for something they called the Dictionary of Occupational Titles, which went back to the GI Bill. Wow. And it was literally a book. And it said, here are all the titles, secretary, clerk, researcher, whatever the titles were in the U.S. economy. And um, they would use it for coding things like unemployment claims and for, for labor statistics purposes. Well, what they found was the economy was changing. There was this thing called the Internet that hadn't existed before, for instance, right? And, and the Dictionary of Occupational Titles was old and kind of had run its course. So ONET became an online database of the knowledge, skills, and abilities in the American workforce. And, and so it, would, it looked beyond titles, although it's, it's, it still is arranged by titles, to the KSAs that people needed to perform a job. Mm -hmm. And so it replaced the Dictionary of Occupational Titles, but moreover, it was designed to say, if the employers understand the KSAs, mm -hmm. and we as, let's say, training providers understand the KSAs, and educators understand the KSAs, then maybe we can have a common language that helps us better fill our hiring needs, mm -hmm. better train our employees, better coach our, our job seekers. And that's what ONET was designed to be. And, and by the way, it has done a decent job of it. Yep. And, but what has happened now is the private sector has grabbed on and taken it to new levels, which is good. That's a good thing. But anyway, that's what ONET is and was. Yep, yep, that's super helpful. And probably a lot of times most people every day don't hear about something like ONET is because, you know, you we all talk about a job title or the skills of a job or right. the skills that you've gained. Um, we might talk about different company names as opposed to industries. So it's just because the language of the everyday person, like on my resume, I would never likely talk about those things, but somehow diluted from the KSAs are some of the words that you know, we're still using today when you write your resume or you put some things on your social media profile. Right. And, and yet now people like you, and before we went live today, we were talking about a, um, uh, a colleague that I've met at IBM Learning. Right. And, you know, they talk about unbundling the job yes. and getting down to core skills. And I know, Kelly, that's your space, that you're kind of the queen of skills, <laughs> the language of skills. And so what we tried to do in ONET 20 years ago now, um, and did to some degree, is now really starting to become a focus, right? Yeah. And titles are almost getting to be meaningless, and it is many, much more important that we dive down into what are the critical skills and what's my best way of, of achieving them, because the, the half-life of skills is so shortened by technology exactly. that you, it, we're always learning, right? So. You know, so ONET was the beginning of this conversation about skills, which has really, I think, in the current day, taken on, you know, a lot it's, more it's meaning. It's definitely morphed and is further along. And I know you, uh, you actually talked, you know, one of the comments you just made, I, I did listen to that podcast that you had on Talent Talks with Sonia from IBM, and you did mention that. So if anyone really wants to dive into this a bit more, I'm just going to mention, like, hey, check out that podcast as well. It's a really good one. It's she does a great job. She really yeah. does. So, so let's go dive in a little bit to adaptive human capital. I mean, I am just 
you know me, like beyond being in love with skills, um, growth mindset in my mind, what you talked about earlier, that persistence. Um, I am, <laughs> I actually recall in my early days, someone saying to me that you're pleasantly persistent. I was like, I think that's the piece of the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing trust me right but but those skills you know that's something that I work with my children on really trying to instill like the ability there's so much that a person can be offered but if you don't have the wherewithal to know that you can go after that and you can achieve something like it's really you, you have something blocking your way and I, I feel like that's right. what you're really focused on with adaptive human capital and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and taking this passion in your life and moving it yeah. towards business now. Well, you know, it, again, that whole concept of the prism and why does one person embrace a change and another person, if you move their desk further away from the window, they just shut down. Why? And again, I, I witnessed it in many oh. different industries, from government to the private sector. And I always, always so my, my master's in IO psychology, I focused on the subject of resilience. Mm -hmm. And in my, my, uh, my work there, I, the, the question was, is there a way to measure someone's resilience? And I correlated it to actually five factors, traits in personality research. The first of which, by the way, is achievement motivation. There you go. So when somebody says you're pleasantly persistent, they mean you have a high level of achievement motivation. So um, anyway, but the, but the research there showed me, yes, in fact, there is a kind of a, I want to say it's a set point, a okay. natural set point that you have that's rooted in your personality sure. that will help you start to understand how you might tend to perceive things, mm -hmm. either as a threat or as an opportunity. That's true. But further, that first off, the good news that I want to make sure people understand, the traits and personality are about 50% genetic, which means they're about 50% learned. Learnable, yeah. So the first thing that was in my thesis, and I remember at the time I wrote it, I was scared to death because there was very little research on this subject back then. And I was like, I'm going to just dive off a cliff and fail this course. The week before I turned it in, the Army bought resilience training from the University of Pennsylvania. Wow. So I thought, hey, so it can be learned. Yep. And the fact that you have personality traits that give you a natural set point is a way for you to understand your own natural tendencies so that you can embark on skill building, sure. right? Sort of so the same way that I think about skills. So you find where you're at right now and how best you can absolutely. improve. Yeah. And, and by the way, intuitively, you're doing it because as a mom, you're, you're already thinking about how you de develop some of these traits in your children, right? right. So that's right. awesome, right? But the other thing I found that's different than some other folks that are out there now in, in selling solutions around individual resiliency is that you can't separate it from environment. Okay. So in the world we're talking about, a work world, we'll call that culture, right? Mm -hmm. So I can be naturally perhaps very open to new experience, um, I can have high levels of self-efficacy. These are all traits of individual resiliency. Um, but if I'm in an environment with, with lacks vision or has very low organizational justice mm -hmm. and very low levels of social support, I'm not going to be as resilient. Right. So it's, it's a combination that adaptive human capital is focused on that we say it's like an equation. Give me the individual resiliency of my workforce 
plus my culture, my organizational agility factors, and I'll give you an either more or less resilient response to organizational change. So, you know, we have a, uh, I've been talking lately, we've discussed this, I call it disruption by design, which is my answer to growth mindset for leaders to say, look, you're no longer just managing tasks and people, you're a, you're a culture curator. You need to make sure that you're in creating an environment where people feel safe to try and fail, where people know that you have their back, where they understand your vision, where we're heading and how I fit in it. When you do that, you're going to create a more agile organization. You're going to create a place where people, frankly, can enjoy work. Right. Frankly. Right. And they can grow. So just like it was in the past, right? It wasn't like that factory that we envision where we just all march on in our you know, it's a, and, and think about all of life, right? Even education is making these same changes. Oh. They're making this environment. Your desks aren't in a straight row. You're really like, it's a, it's a whole different world. Well, it, it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all too frequently, it isn't yet. Yeah. But I, I, ironically, I think the pandemic is going to wind up being an accelerator of change, Kelly. And so I think true. that a lot of the things that you and I have talked about before, such as reform in education, digital badges, micro-credentialing, mm-hmm. right, um, are going to be accelerated. And this is what I mean by disruption by design. Disrupt yourself, educators, from the inside, lest you be disrupted from the outside. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a, 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 a good amount of transformational change that we're going to be facing. And Therefore, people have to get more open and, and figure out how to cope with it, or we're all going to wind up on anxiety medications, right? And there too frequently too many of us are already, right? Yep, yep. So, yeah. Well, I love... So, like, anyway, I that's what say, adaptive human capital is about. Yeah, well, I often Sorry. use the example... No, 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 it's just the, the... I was thinking as you were saying this that I often use the example of like taxis and Uber, right? Uber, so, right. Yeah, so ta- yeah. like Uber just came in because the taxi system, like that... The, those companies, they did not, why would anyone ever want to pay with a credit card? Like all the things that now today we seem as like so simple, of course we wanted to do that as the consumer, but they just kept their blinders on and they were like, there's always going to be a space for us. And then this other startup organization came in and just, just went crazy, like disrupted the whole thing. And that's happened right. a multitude of times. Like no one even knows the name Kodak anymore. You know what I mean? There's so I many. I know examples right. throughout history well, polaroid yeah. or blockbuster i right. mean the list goes on and on and on and you know my my whole thing in the space that i am working with is i i i people probably get tired of listening to me but i'm trying to give them a warning and say yeah. guys come on let's go and and also i noticed in this covid and within the pandemic there's a i think a lot of leaders are kind of getting stuck in okay well we're going to put the big decisions on hold because there's too much uncertainty right now. So let's wait for this to pass. Those are the folks that are risking disruption. Yeah. Whereas you and I are like, this is the perfect moment in time. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Right. Let's do it. Now let's talk about reinventing ourselves. Right. And we've talked about this. I, I, I don't know. I didn't create this statement, but I love it. They said, you know, we're never going back to normal but that's okay because normal wasn't working that good anyway. Right. right? I mean, so true. You know, we need a better normal, not a new normal, a better normal. Exactly. And, and that starts now and leaders need to be doing it now. So 
I, if you can't tell, I get a little bit jazzed about this stuff because first of all, I just think it's a more fun way to work anyway, isn't it? I mean, let's do something so more exciting every day. Right. Just, yeah, right. there's something always. So, so let's like with adaptive human capital, what I'm really interested to hear about is really how you help. I mean, like the concept is amazing. So how do you do this? Like, how do you help an individual or an organization make those changes, learn, you know, understand where they're at and learn what they need to do to be more agile. So, you know, and, and that's evolving. Um, as you know, I mean, I'm, I'm developing and new content as we speak, but mm -hmm. currently right now we have a workshop which I've now converted to, to webinar based stuff nice. um, that describes organizational, I call them the six critical factors of agile organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the individual resiliency traits. We have an online resiliency assessment. People is that available to the public? Sense. It is. Yeah, it's on oh. our website. People Perfect. can order it online now. Um, and, uh, you know, most recently I've done a disruption by design leadership series, a two-part series where we explore the agility organizational factors, combine it with the individual assessment and then do a tie it all together activity so that leaders can learn how to apply it in setting vision, in, in improving organizational justice, mm -hmm. in trying to capture a, a fail safe culture which yes. where, where failure isn't a correction in a performance right. appraisal. It's, it's a, a learning, learning opportunity. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, and next we're coming out with an organizational assessment, Ooh. which allow leaders to look at, they're how they and how frontline workers see the yeah. levels of agility in their organization. Oh, that's so um, interesting. <laughs> and next we're going to be coming out with, and we're looking at partners for some of this too. We won't develop it all. We may curate some of this, but mm -hmm. we want to then bring skill building modules in for each of the individual resiliency traits. So if my level of openness to experiences is low, right. how can I improve on that? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, the goal here is first, I want to expose the language to people, create awareness. And then our next step will be to bring skill building to, to a couple with that. I love that. So do you feel like when you start working with an organization or an individual um, in terms of the skill building, do you feel like this is a one-time thing or an overtime thing in terms of training? No, well, first off, you know, I always, you know, we were been in training business for years and I always tell people, um, training can't be an event. It needs to be a process, right? Yeah. So the way that I envision, for instance, our organizational agility assessment to be used is a, is a windowing kind of a concept, right? Mm -hmm. So take it before the training okay. and then maybe take it again in a year and then take it again in a year and, and have that become a barometer, a measurement stick. Are, am I seeing my rates for organizational justice improve or not? And so, no, I see it as, you know, like anything else in your culture, sure. it needs to be owned and embedded in everything that you do. Yeah. Sure. It's not like just like a quick fix diet that we go on to like fit into our wedding dress. We're like, oh, only if such things existed, right? Lifestyle they, change. You know better. Yeah. Right. No. And I mean, I feel like that's probably, I know when I think about growth mindset, it's like a constant thing. Like you, exactly. and I know I have to choose those things every day. So, and I'm someone who naturally is just more apt to this but you know it doesn't mean that it's not difficult no matter what so if you're making those changes it's something that you need to practice just like anything else 
Yeah, and, and frankly, for some people, it's really difficult, Kelly. I mean, I, I agree, knowing you, some of these traits are natural for you. They're not as natural for everyone. And, no. and frankly, that's what the leader's job is. You know, my first reaction to folks is that they say, oh, great, we'll take this individual resiliency assessment and we'll just hire resilient individuals. No, it doesn't, first off- Not if you're holding them predictive. back. <laughs> yeah, if it was predictive, they would be 100% determined by genetics and not 50, exactly. right? Exactly. So number one, it isn't predictive. And number two, too much of it is about environment. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to create awareness and help skill building on the individual level, but the real change needs to happen at the leadership level. So right? true. It really yeah. does have to be like a culture shift in the way that they're yeah, looking at that. Absolutely. Even, even someone like you and I, you put us in the wrong environment and that changes the way that we'll act and, you know, potentially the way that we'll come, you know, every day to work or whatever it is that we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this is a passion for me. And I, you know, I'm doing it for those reasons now, frankly, finally at this stage of life, I'm not, you know, it's not, everything isn't driven by uh, the paycheck as much, frankly, as it is by the fact that I think I'm making a difference for some people. And it, don't get me wrong, I'm still a capitalist, but it's just, it, this is, I've gotten to a place in my life where I can work on my passion. Which is amazing. To whatever somebody's telling you, right? Yeah, and kudos to you on that. I absolutely love that. I. I love where your mind, and, and it seems like this was always a passion, just maybe not the forefront yes. of what you were focused on. So the fact that you can go there now and, and still be a change agent in, in this other different way, um, especially when our world is so ready for this right now, um, I think yeah. it's fantastic. So I think we're coming close to the end here. Um, I, is there anything else that you'd like to add, Rick, before we wrap up? No, you know, just that um, I'm really encouraged and excited, I guess, too, about the conversations that we've had and your focus, which is this whole area of skills. And you mentioned the Talent Talks podcast with Sonia Malik from IBM, where they've, you know, identified the, their skills that they're looking to hire. They've eliminated the need for a bachelor's to apply to IBM. Love it. And they, they, they put out my credentials to build those skills and I see that happening in your career and in other places is focus on skills and increasingly I see that one of the critical skills that people are looking for is resilience yeah so you know I'm all about that that conversation and I I'm going to continue to watch you and the innovations you're bringing to the table too Kelly um, so yeah I've just I'm gonna watch and observe from the outside and contribute anywhere I can Definitely. And same here. I feel the exact same way. Um, so, you know, Rick, thank you again so much for joining us. I know for those of you who really want to keep in touch with Rick or follow his journey with adaptive human capital and otherwise, you can follow him on Twitter or LinkedIn at Rick Mayer. That is R-I-C-K-M-A-H-E-R. -E um, adaptive Human Capital. You can find more information right on their website at adaptivehumancapital.com. Um, and don't forget his podcast. So wherever you get your podcasts, I assume that's everywhere, Rick. Everywhere. Perfect. Yeah, Talent Spotify. Talks. 
Yep. Look that up. He has some fantastic guests. He really digs into a lot of these topics on a regular basis. So check out that podcast. Please subscribe. And I just want to thank you all for listening in to Let's Talk About Skills, baby. Um, you know, this journey has been so fantastic. I just really think that if you enjoy this podcast, I would really appreciate that you go ahead and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, comment, offer a rating and a review. Um, would really appreciate you sharing with your friends as well. You can also follow me, Kelly Bailey. I'm available on LinkedIn. I'm available on Instagram and also Facebook at Kelly R. Bailey. And um, I'd love to hear any of your feedback or suggestions. So feel free to reach out with that as well. Um, well, thank you all so much. And we hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks, Kelly. Bye.